Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. There are several threads woven through this conversation with Judy Strauss-Lipkin, accountant, yes, formerly a college professor, and always someone who has been committed to the purpose of the society we call Organization Behavior Teaching, or Management and Organization Behavior Teaching Society as it's known today. So Judy and I go way back and meeting on these various campuses for the last nearly 40 years uh, for three days of really great learning, supporting, caring, and, and fun. So I've kept in touch with Judy over the years. And what has particularly struck me as someone studying practice is how she puts herself into her practice as accountant, something that she could give up at any time at this stage of our lives. And yet she keeps soldiering on in the happiest way I can imagine. And you're going to hear the secret of her success. She loves her clients. I gave you a, I gave you a hint. And they love her. There's another hint. Why? It's not just about money. It's about being made to know and understand and appreciate what she knows, understands and appreciates so that they are confident in the financial security that they worked hard to achieve and more. So here is Judy Strauss-Lipkin. The Management and Organization Behavior Teaching Society, lovingly known by Judy Strauss-Lipkin and me as OBTC, <laughs> has brought together people for 50 years. Of course, Judy was very young 50 years ago. Maybe she wasn't even born, and I was certainly a gleam in my parents. I'm, I'm lying. I'm lying. Judy and I have along uh, friendships because we met originally in those conferences on various campuses around the country. Uh, and, you know, the way it works, if you see someone a few different times, you start feeling like real friends, even though we'd only see each other for two or a half or three days a year. And that's how I've always felt about Judy Strauss-Litka. One of our mutual friends, back when she was beginning to attend, was Peter B. Vale, the very person who got me into this podcasting and into the book on practice as a way of being and actually helped me get my dissertation done before I was 30 uh, because he was moving on to George Washington University that very week and didn't want me to kick it around anymore and try one more version. So, Judy, what, hello, what do you remember about Peter Vale from either at the conferences or even before when you actually met him up in Northern Illinois? I think when I first came to OBTC, which was OBTC then, yep. um, 
I was a grad student and Peter Vale was one of the people. And so, you know, I had read his materials. I had read his articles. I had uh, sort of delved into his books. And he, along with quite a number of other people, were like, oh, my God, is, this, is he really here? <laughs> I'm really talking to him. I'm listening to him. I think I was so in awe as just a little grad student of the people that were, um, one, at the conference, and two, because of what this conference is, were just average people like the rest of us. Yeah. And if I went up to Peter Vale and asked a question, he would spend 10 or 15 minutes sitting and talking with me, which never happened at the Academy of Management. Oh, no. <laughs> Graduate students are peons. <laughs> so I think that's, that's a first thing that I really remember and was so um, appreciative of him. I also remember, I think, the other thing that was his piano playing, always. Yeah. You know, he was part of... One of the things that I loved about OBGC, which I wish we would get back to, is at night in Jim's place, we used to hang out around the piano. He used to play, and I would sing quietly because I sing off-key. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there was no song that Peter didn't know, and... And so one of the challenges, as I recall, very early on when I'd see him at the piano was someone would say, play X, Y, Z. And pretty within a second, he's playing it, but he was making it up, too. So just to get us singing, he would figure out the bass line. And, and then so he thought more of us as singers than he did playing perfect piano of those pieces that he had memorized. And that was a signature, I think, of Peter Vale. He had an, an encyclopedic knowledge of the literatures. Uh, he could find a citation like that out of the top of his head. And yet, like his piano playing, he wanted to include us and he wanted to hear our voices and uh as, as as singers and then in the classroom when i was his student it was the same he could have lectured for three and a half hours i would not have left one line out of my notes of listening to him explain human behavior and organization or at least question human behavior and organization but instead he involved us he engaged us what do you think what do you see out there? What do you make of it? You're the ones who are going to be out there in the world, you know, leading and managing, and in your case, being an extraordinarily good accountant. But that was Peter Vale. Any other thoughts? Because I want to talk to you about... Well, oh. I think what I remember well is it's not just that I liked it. But he loved being there as a part of it. And it wasn't that he was feeling like I'm the star. It was like we were all in this together. 
And it created such a wonderful bond for the conference. Yeah. I think one of the things that I remember, and um, I now have pictures from some of it, is we were in Richmond and we were on this Robert E. Lee um, paddle wheeler um, for the event. And Harvey Kalani and I said, you know, people don't have songbooks. Some of us remember the words and some of us don't. And he and I spent a year creating songbooks of all the wonderful songs for OBTC. Um, and Harvey sent me pictures of some of us on the paddle wheeler. Oh, I remember that conference very well. Were you there then? I was, but you didn't know me. I was just a lonely associate professor, you know, from, from Maine. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh, that's Judy Strauss-Lipkin over there. I wonder if she'll even say hello to me. <laughs> no, I, I I do remember it, and I remember how uh, how nice it was for you to do the songbook because I saw that songbook the next year or two uh, in circulation, and it did help some of us who can't remember lyrics very well. <laughs> but that was the kind of kindness that we did to each other back then. It uh, it we it did. was infectious. Uh, but when you when I uh, hosted it on Zoom at the uh, one of the org behavior conferences that had to be virtual right after Peter passed away. Um, I, uh, you attended, you very kindly attended along with Joan Wiener and some of our other good friends who knew Peter well. And you volunteered that one of the ways that he impressed you was you were uh, organizing what consor uh, colloquia up there when you were a graduate student in uh, in Peter attended. I did. Tell tell me about that again. <laughs> well, I think the session that you did—that's what you're asking about, right? Yes. I think. One of the things about both the session and what we're doing now at the conference, it brings it back home to us. Because one of the things about the conference, it has kind of evolved and the society has kind of evolved. We were all really young when we went. Yeah. Got really young. And most of us, it was our home. We made wonderful friends like you and me and Joan mm -hmm. and other people. Mm -hmm. And we were teaching colleagues, but we were really way friends beyond teaching colleagues. And the conference, including Peter, um, enabled that kind of thing. Um, I, w I went to the conference both because I got things to use back in my classroom, but really more because I was so excited to see the kinds of people like Peter or David Bradford or Alan Cohn or Joan Wiener or Bob Marks mm -hmm. every single year. It's like the minute we walked into the conference, it was like you hugged everybody. Yeah. 
it was like you hugged everybody and and you felt an incredible connection i think the session that you did we and, and let me say this much the conference now it has a lot younger people in it. You and I and other people come back because we want to see each other. But many of us are retired, so we're not coming back for teaching issues. We're coming back for personal connections. Yes. I think the session with Peter really brought us back to our core. Okay, I think... I was deeply touched by seeing him there, okay, as he was for us. I thought it was um, incredibly wonderful to make that happen. But it also made me stop to think about what the conference and the people did for me in several ways. One is a teacher, and it surely helped me be a better teacher. Yeah. It also helped me to think about how I was connecting with students, which Peter did beautifully always. Mm -hmm. Three, it made me think about how I am as a person and how I've become through the times when I went to OBTC, which to me is really important. I mean, I don't know how many of the people you've interviewed. I stopped teaching full-time, and only ran my business since 2002. I think almost every year I've gone back to OBTC. And there are people that say, you're going where? You're going to a teaching conference? I said it enriches not only how I interact with clients in my business, but I come away from the conference every year feeling regenerated. Yeah really regenerated because of the people um, that I've known for 20 and 30 or longer years and because of the way the conference is structured. And Peter was an integral, integral part of that Yeah, for so many years. Yeah, that uh, the moment I think you're recalling is uh, when Peter and I first started collaborating um, on the practice theme, and trying to help him get his manuscript uh, ready for a, any publisher that we could find. And uh, I um, rigged up my desk, uh, desktop camera on a pole, and it was very early Zoom years. This is five uh, almost five years ago. And then... Uh, he was in his hospital bed in his in his apartment and he was upraised and then the, i put the camera out so he could look around and see people and he was so thrilled he said oh there's dorothy marsick dorothy dorothy and there's janine clark and and that was so you're he was echoing what you're talking about it meant as much for him to see the old gang joe seltzer there's joe over there and we and they had they circled up and they formed some questions for Peter about the nature of practice and he fielded them with glee. Uh, I found out after when I 
called to see how he was doing that it exhausted him completely. And once it was over, his loved one Sandy said he would just slump back. But he was smiling and he said to Sandy, Oh, do I miss, do I miss those people and do I miss teaching? And wow. uh, so that was quite a gift moment there. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a question for you. Do you miss teaching? Uh, well, I've tricked myself, Judy, into thinking that what I've been doing with the uh, continuous, continuous uh, conversations about practice for the podcast, about the book, in the book, I've written, you know, my commentary on every one of 32 conjectures that Peter wrote, that I feel I'm still teaching. Uh, but... <laughs> If you put me back, if you parachuted me into a classroom and I would on the way down, I would say, well, what are they learning down there today? And someone might put into my earphones, oh, I think it's an accounting class. And I would go, pull me back up. And then, I, and then I'd hear Peter's voice saying, come on, Dave, accounting is about human behavior, too. And you <laughs> can get them thinking about all the human dynamics of accounting. Right? So, Judy, you have continued from 2002 your business, which is an accountancy. You're, you're a sole person doing this work for people. And I remember talking to you to set up this call when you, you're in the thick of it, and you still are. And, and you said, Dave, I can't give up my clients. I don't know if you said you love them. I think they love you. So what is it like in your practice, this, this is a particular practice, to be the kind of human <laughs> that your clients think of long after you've done their taxes and probably call you many times and even care about you? In fact, didn't you tell me that you got some flowers the other day from a client? So you're asking me, why am I working? When am I going to stop? Why am I here? Isn't that what you're asking? Well, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be flowery about it, but yes. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer that. <laughs> um I discovered a long time ago in my life that I'm both left brain and right brain, which a lot of people really aren't. And so I'm a psychologist in my soul. Mm. And I'll be very honest, I taught in, and, and I'm very creative. Um, I taught in a small college. I never made very much money. I started this tax business with my ex-husband in 1970. Um, his parents had a tax business. And I said to him when we came to Illinois, you don't need a license to do a tax business. All you need is a brain. Mm -hmm. And so when I got divorced and I was still teaching and I didn't have enough money, I bought the tax business that was very small from him as part mm -hmm. of my divorce settlement. And I discovered several things about my kinds of skills, which I think leads into your question. One, I'm really good at understanding the complicated laws and they are complicated by far. 
I believe it. (laughs) Number two, because I'm a teacher, I'm really good at breaking down the complicated laws and explaining them to people and making sure that they understand them. Um, Number three, people appreciate that kind of tax practice as opposed to handing off the things to some accountant or CPA or tax person, getting it back, signing it, and never knowing what's in their tax. So I found that it was incredibly satisfying to me and people appreciated and still do what I do for them and how I do it, which is different. I'm more expensive than a little tax person, but that's why they keep coming back because I listen, which we all learned how to do through OBTC, or if we didn't know before, we definitely learned then. Yes. Two, we teach. And three, I provide a product that is tangible. I can tell them how much refund they're getting or why they're owing. Yeah. And so I'll be really honest with you. Many, like you have many, many, many students that are your wonderful friends that wish you happy birthday and call periodically. I get a few. Well, I won't say all my clients love me, but a lot of them really appreciate me. And I find that they're not just my clients, but they're my friends. Yeah. And so that's why I'm still here. (laughs) I get it. I get it wholeheartedly. I think uh, one of the, we could, we could unpack a number of lessons from what you've just shared, Judy. But one of them is that as in teaching, it's the client's experience that counts at least as much as your own, by which I mean they need to cooperate, they need to be patient, they need to find the hidden document that they couldn't remember where they put all of that. So there's that kind of interdependency. But beyond that, they want to feel they want to feel what you want them to feel, which is informed and comfortable and ready to enact their next year of spending and saving and all the rest. So the customer becomes uh the real way of testing whether you should stay in accounting or not, or, or stop doing it. And I, I'm, and if I could line them all up here on camera, they'd all be going, for God's sake, Dave, don't even let her think about it. Why? Because that little bit of their life, well, for some people, it's a lot of their life. Cause I remember you've solved some damn complicated cases. They, they have someone who really offers them a product and deep caring with a little bit of teaching shaken in there like a spice. (laughs) Well, the theme of my business is financial advice with understanding. Oh, okay. And I can tell you, I'm thinking of one client who shall remain nameless, and Mm -hmm. she was a pretty high executive at Boeing. 
And she was divorced and probably six or seven years ago, maybe longer now, she walked in my office with her boyfriend and said, help us. We've decided we're leaving and we're going to pack it in. She's in her early 50s. She can afford it. And we're going to move to Key West and open a bar. <laughs> oh, the usual, uh, the usual situation that walked through your door. <laughs> I spent a really long time helping her to plan her stock options, helping her to get her to a really wonderful investment guy, working out the tax consequences so that we minimize the tax bite on some of the things she did. And you know what? They've been in Key West for years. And you know what? She's still my client. I was going to say, do you ever get down back. there to get a drink? <laughs> she sends her stuff back. Last year, she made a cute comment. She said, you know, my tax is getting easier now. They're not married still, and maybe never. She said, Steve said I could do my taxes. She sent me an email and she said, I told Steve no. When can I send my packet Federal Express back up to you? And I said, whenever you want. But again, because I helped them, they have a really nice lifestyle now. Yes. And a good cash flow. Plus, I've helped them in all sorts of ways that are both tax and financial oriented but really, like you do as a teacher and many of us do, you listen to what their personal hopes and dreams are and try and get them there. And that is incredibly satisfying to me. It is. Oh, I can't imagine. that. Uh, so many people would love to have uh, what you can accomplish for people. Uh, and uh, and yes, it, it, it is about the quality of their lives ultimately. That makes the difference. It's funny because, you know, we, when we started out this org behavior teaching conference 50 years ago, what I've learned in, in assembling the fellows for some planning we're going to do for a session uh, in, in June about the 50 years and beyond, uh, what I learned was that business schools were even back then, thinking of business as essentially accounting and finance with a little marketing sprinkled in. But the whole aspect of organization, behavior, management, caring about people, employee engagement, all of that, back then it was under assault. And so they formed this society in part to support each other in championing uh, organization study and, and using the social sciences to help people understand business. 50 years later, you are a businesswoman helping people in their life called behavior. And it's so pertinent, it's so relevant that I think there's been some acceptance in business schools today that maybe they better do something about human beings. <laughs> you know, but it 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 is the next challenge now because along comes artificial intelligence and and uh, uh, some people are rubbing their hands and saying, "Oh great, we can do with less people." 
uh, oh, great, we can have all of our accounting done uh, by a chatbot <laughs> instead of Judy Strauss-Litkin. Well, and the skills we have become even more relevant during COVID and Zoom teaching, mm-hmm. you know, and online teaching where you don't, one of the things I think that I loved and I assume you loved, I loved being in that classroom. Oh, in yeah. In front of them, interacting yeah. with them, watching their faces. Yeah. Okay. Reaching out and asking them good questions. It's harder to do that on Zoom. And yet people need that kind of connection more than ever. They need it in the classroom. They need it at work. There's a lot of alienation and loneliness and stress because people haven't connected. Mm-hmm. And those are the skills that we have that we can bring both in the classroom, outside of the classroom, and surely through Zoom. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think one um, one thing that... And, and this is a project, by the way, folks, that Judy initiated for this 50th anniversary of the Organization Behavior Teaching Society. She, she assembled four, four or five of us old timers, and she said, would you all take 10 or 12 names of people you we all know, knew during the years of the, of the society and give them a call and have a conversation and and see if you can collect some of the reasons that people came. And your theme for this, Judy, was heartfelt. So as we're moving up on our time here, I want to come back to what it means to be a heartfelt accountant, a heartfelt teacher, a heartfelt manufacturer of equipment that's the part that that damn ai is never gonna get uh when you made some of these calls just to get a a sampling what were some of the things you were hearing from folks that you when you reached back them for our session well i think part of the reason that i wanted to do this is because I wanted to connect and I wanted all of us to connect with people that were meaningful, both for the society and in our lives. Mm -hmm. So we all got to pick people that we wanted to talk to. Mm -hmm. And that has been so incredibly wonderful. And I think there are definite themes that have come out from the people I've talked to They feel safe. They felt coming home. They felt supported. Um, People loved to come. Um, And it just was their home away from home. Whether they the school paid for them, and sometimes they did. And believe it or not, sometimes they didn't. That's right. People paid for themselves to come. That's a pretty good... uh indicator right there of commitment and interest isn't it right i mean seriously and so i first of all because we've all been together for 
not quite 50 years, but I met some people 40 years ago and longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've known each other through most of our adult lives since we were kids in graduate school. That's and right. So what's really fun is to just see where they are now. And you know what? When we talk, when I talk to somebody, and I don't know if you felt this, it felt like it was only yesterday. Yeah. Once you hear the voice, yeah, I can. I the couple of calls I had where it just brought back memories right away. It oh, just was like someone said, "I oh, I attended one of your sessions, Dave," and that was music to my ears because sometimes <laughs> I had such exotic s- sessions to present with titles that people didn't quite get that I I would only get two or three people, uh, but it was always a few who would come, and uh, and that. It was all I needed. <laughs> That's it's, all I needed. Because there are so many good sessions, too, to be fair to everyone else. Uh, and there will be, I'm sure, in June. Uh, it's it just, uh, yeah, you go for a little R&R at the end of a tough year, a tough semester for most of us. And that was good. It was being on a campus, someone else's turf, it felt like oh, look around and comparing oh, classrooms. <laughs> except except for the beds, you know, you and Joan were not particularly happy about <laughs> the quality of the dormitory beds, but no, it was my wife, Connie. So a lot of times we, we stayed in motels and came on campus. But the point is that uh, the future of teaching and organization teaching in particular, organization development, organization behavior, leadership, management, you know all the all the labels we put on it takes people who have that kind of heart it has to be heartfelt because all the technology in the world is not going to inspire the learning that i got from peter vale when i was a student or you got from peter vale when he said sure judy let's go over and sit down and talk you have a question let's talk that's heartfelt I think that's our past and it's our present and I believe it's our future. What you're saying, I think, is that technology is not going to replace who we are. Isn't that right? That's right. I mean, it's like I stand on my phone all day long. Trust me, I'm there all day long. And people text and people email. And sometimes I pick up the phone because I want to hear your voice. And I think they want to hear our voice. And that you can hear how people are happy with that. And I think, I don't think there's going to be an either or. But I think, I hope. Because a lot of the young people are really um, struggling. Yes. On, on the interpersonal side and the kinds of things we bring um, are really pr- both in organizations and people's personal lives. I think it's real important. Uh, a, a really funny thing, which is sort of separate from what you're talking about, but not quite. My husband died four years ago. Yeah. And he would say to me, Phones aren't for texting. I can text you, but phones aren't for texting. I'm just going to call you and you better damn answer it. (laughs) (laughs) He said, 
You know, I can stand here and text you, but that's not what I want. I want to hear your voice. Yeah, no text for Larry, right? So uh, I think some of that, people come are missing that. I yeah. think they don't realize how much they're missing it until yeah. they get to a place with one of us where you connect with me or you connect with them or you know you ask them a good question and they say you know i never thought about that aha that's a really important point music to our ears you know and so you begin to sort of help them process things both on a personal side and on a career side which is different than sending them a text oh god okay? yes. A text is sort of like, this is what you ought to do. Yeah. In five sentences or less. To, let's discuss this. Yeah. And so I see, so if we get back to Peter, I sort of see the legacy of Peter as in a discussion mode. Yes. You know, I mean, lots of people in other um, disciplines teach like this yeah push okay? push push yeah they don't teach like this and which is draw draw and push draw and push that's a and, beautiful way of, of of characterizing great teaching and to me um it's what makes us really good teachers and creates really good learners because one of the things and I'll ask you after I say this, but one of the things sometimes students, I still have students, you know, that come back to me. Mm -hmm. They'll say, you know, Judy, you said this to me 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I still remember that class. I still remember the discussion we had. It made such an impact on my life. And I say, oh, my God, thank you. And I'm sure you've had that experience. People come back to you and remember something that happened in a classroom. You may not remember it, but they remember it. That's true. That is very true. And and, and, and I've got to wrap us up here, but I have to tell you one more Peter Vale story just to that point. My first, uh, I was in a uh, fellowship for my doctorate at the University of Connecticut, and I very fortunately, since I'd been a sociology major, wanted to go take some courses in the business school called organization behavior. Only then it was called uh, administrative science or some silly word. But anyway, I I chose this course by chance with Peter. And it was a introduction to organization behavior, Peter Vale style, and it went on and on, you know, in wonderful ways. And then he created an exercise, and I remember to this moment, he, he said, all right, I want you to form teams, and I want you to put your heads together, and I want you to write a poem about this course. <laughs> so uh, everyone was individually trying to write poems in my little team, and I said, I don't know if we have time to really put these words together. And, of course, they looked at me and said, do you have a poem ready? And I said, yeah, I've got one ready. And so <laughs> they're all very happy to have me present the team's poem. And it was called, 
IA338, I love you. And then I went on and, and to talk about why I love, why we loved IA338. Peeper, Peter laughed. And then years later, when we were having one of our podcast conversations, uh, he said, uh, Dave, do you remember that poem? Then right away, of course I remember that poem. IA338, I love you. And Peter laughed and laughed. So it meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to me. That was maybe 45 minutes out of a whole semester. And what a, what a bond that created and how it really launched me into wanting to teach this subject for the rest of my life, even though I took a few detours, ran a few business, uh, university programs. But when I came back to teaching, one of my first uh, challenges to the students is, write me a poem about this class. <laughs> and they looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> so Judy Strauss-Lipkin, wow, this has been so wonderful. We've covered an awful lot of ground, and uh, I'm just going to be happy to present this episode in April uh, with uh, a good friend, a fellow teacher, and someone who can be a hell of a lot better at accounting than I can. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh how could I have forgotten? Our digital book on practice as a way of being is now available. You'll find it online at www.inactionresearch.com mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience, since it's wherever your screen is in hand or at hand. <laughs>